Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at IPA and your host for this episode. This episode of First State Insights is part of IPA's Visions of Recovery series, which features 15-minute conversations on five important questions. What's one thing you think will be changed for good after the pandemic? What's one thing you hope will change? What needs to happen for this change to occur? What are you doing to make it happen? And how can folks get involved? My guest today is Caitlin Andrews. Caitlin is an alumna of the University of Delaware, where she earned undergraduate and graduate degrees, including a Master of Public Administration from the Biden School of Public Policy and Administration. While at UD, she conducted public service research on health policy and senior centers as a public administration fellow at IPA. Caitlin joined me on September 24, 2021, to discuss policy priorities for aging and older adults and offer her vision of recovery. Let's get to the conversation. Caitlin, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, could you kind of let listeners know who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Caitlin Andrews. I'm the Director of Public Policy at Live on New York. Live on New York is a small nonprofit organization based in New York City. We are a membership organization that represents more than 100 other nonprofits that are community-based organizations serving seniors. The services that these organizations provide are anything from home care to affordable senior housing to Meals on Wheels, anything that an older adult might need to remain in community as they age. And so my focus is really to support those programs and to make sure that the policies in place are most effective to make sure all New Yorkers can age with dignity. And so kind of with your role in mind, and as we look towards recovery, what's one thing you think will be changed for good after the pandemic? The biggest thing that will change for good is our expectations of the long-term care system. COVID really made every American confront what is our long-term care system today. We saw in the news really horrific and heart-wrenching stories of what was going on in nursing homes and the incredible loss of life that was experienced throughout the country and in New York in particular. And that's going to create this new emerging consciousness throughout the nation about what do we want our later years to look like? Do we want nursing homes to be the primary model of care when we reach old age. And so with that, I think we're going to shift from a really healthcare-focused model of long-term care to a more community-centric model. It's also going to create some really tough conversations in families where you're thinking about what, what do I want to happen? Because there are so many Americans right now taking on caregiving responsibilities or having lost a loved one in a nursing home. And now people are beginning to have what can be really difficult conversations that you kind of want to avoid, but know are necessary to talk about how do I want my later years to look? How can we make sure that that's possible? And I think that's a really good thing that will force our healthcare system to transform, our care system to transform. And you've probably heard the term caring economy created, 
it's really growing. It's more in vogue right now. And that wasn't the case even five years ago. So COVID, I think, really brought that to life that we do need a more caring economy. And what's one thing you hope will change? So in some ways, I think that this almost got worse during COVID and we're going to really need to do a lot of work to change it. And that is just the ageist stereotypes that exist out there and really looking at older adults as the other and a monolith that every single older adult, once you hit 60, you are vulnerable. That is the tag that anybody can say, and that's it, period. I looked through, looking back, what are some of the headlines that we saw during the pandemic? And here are three that stood out to me. So millennials for COVID's economic brunt, will boomers help them out? And then this from USA Today, Texas's lieutenant governor suggests grandparents are willing to die for U.S. economy. And another one, after decades of denial, pandemic is making Minnesota baby boomers feel their age. And then the subtitle is being lumped in with the cohort regarded as frail and vulnerable has come as a reckoning. So these aren't really phenomenal headlines to hear if you're an older adult or if you're about to hit 60 and that's the next birthday you're looking forward to. It it would be tough to read this and to not think of it in a really negative context. And in some ways, it even pits generations against each other. It's millennials are really suffering as a result of all we've had to do to keep older adults safe during COVID. And that type of generational divide, just it helps no one. So I think that has been a growing challenge. There's actually an emerging body of research that has looked into the ageism that has persisted during this time. And I think we're really going to have to reframe that. So my organization, Live on New York, we're actually embarking on what's called the Reframing Aging Initiative. It is born out of the Gerontological Society of America based off of research that shows that there's a lot to be gained from shifting to a strength-based frame around aging. So emphasizing that older New Yorkers are predominantly the volunteers in our communities. They're civically engaged. They're economic drivers, particularly local economic activity, shopping local. They are most likely to show up and vote or sit on community boards. And we're all aging. And so that is a a frame shift. And it's a different way of thinking from that vulnerable doom and gloom mindset that we saw throughout the pandemic. Kind of looking beyond uh, your organization and efforts that you've put in place, what kind of more broadly do you think needs to happen for that change of mindset to occur? Yeah, so I think it's really important that we are not treating older adults as the other, again, I've, I've said this, but we're all aging. Every single day you wake up, you are a day older. And that's a beautiful thing, something to embrace. And old age should be something to look forward to. And so we need to really, going back to the first topic about how we need a community system of care, communities need to embrace this. And we need to 
say, this is how I want to age. This is what, what I want old age to look like. I don't want to be seen as the vulnerable other to be put into a nursing home, but I want a system of care that is going to allow me to remain in my community that I love, that I've contributed to, where I went to high school and where I know the local mailman. That's really important. And it's going to take a lot of concerted effort at every single level to put that system of care into place. At the federal level, there's really three areas that we need investments and we need concerted effort. So one is the Older Americans Act. It's a small but mighty act in the federal government that created the Meals on Wheels system, senior centers, all of these local non-medical programs that are incredible. That is something that we need to invest in in a really robust way to ensure that anybody who needs a home-delivered meal, when they're in old age and can no longer go out or, or grocery shop or cook in the same way, that that is an option. And to be honest, that's a really good thing to invest in. There's a lot of studies that show the savings that can be had to Medicaid if you invest in this type of program. So that's one at the federal level. Another at the federal level would be the HUD-202 system. The HUD-202 system is essentially what created affordable senior housing in communities where when you age and now are relying on a fixed income like Social Security, you know your rent will only be 30% of your income. And it's buildings in every community that have a service coordinator, which can assist with making sure you can set up transportation to go to medical appointments or just checking in and saying, how are you doing? And being that friendly face, but really light touch non-medical services that can have a really big impact. Unfortunately, in New York, my organization did a study and found there are over 200,000 seniors in New York City alone on waiting lists for this HUD-202 type building. We need more. The population is growing. The demographics are shifting. There are more older adults than ever as the baby boomers are aging into old age. And it's just a reality that we're going to need more of this housing type to ensure that when you reach old age and the house that you've lived in, the stairs no longer work for you. You need a little bit of extra assistance that this option is available and you're not going to sit on a waiting list that during which time you have a fall and things get worse and now you're in a nursing home and that option no longer is available. And then the last on the federal level would be really investments in home care. The home care system nationally, I could do a podcast just on this. It is really tragic, the wages that we're paying to home care workers. There are shortages across the country because of these wages, but it's a system of care that people would prefer. People would prefer to have a home care aide come in two hours, help out here and there rather than enter a nursing home, which is going to be more costly anyway. So that's another area where the federal government could really step up and create the system of care that we want. And I have no goals in what the system of care should be. This is what data is showing people want. Research shows Americans want to live in their communities. 
We saw it during the pandemic, and these are really bipartisan issues. Right now, there was a recent study put out, and this is the quote, 85% of Americans agree that now is the right time to think about building a better aging services system for seniors. 89% of Americans support public investments in affordable home care services. 86% support investment in low-income housing. This is what Americans want. It's just going to take concerted effort to get there. Yeah. So with that in mind, I mean, what are some of the best ways for people to get started and get involved and, you know, both that reframing and also kind of the need for federal legislation that you talked about? Sure. So from a reframing standpoint, one of the ways to like really crystallize this in your mind, I would recommend taking a trip through your CVS or your Walgreens, walk around, look at the birthday cards. Are they well-framed? Would you want to receive that birthday card when you turn 70? Take a look at the skincare products. Does pretty much every product say anti-aging and like, let's not embrace this. Let's avoid this at all costs. Pay $30 to make sure that this never happens to you. I think a quick trip through your local drugstore will cement this in your mind and then try and keep that in mind moving forward. Do your best to reframe the way that you're speaking. Do your best to call out ageism when you see it. When you hear a joke about boomers, there was the okay boomer trend that happened that hopefully we can move past. Try your best to participate in the new way we want to look at aging and to model that for those around you. On the legislative sort of creating the system of care that we want, I would really recommend sharing your wishes with your family, starting to talk about what improvements do you want in your house, and then maybe go to your local lawmakers, tell them, I really want the HUD 202 program invested in. I just looked and in my neighborhood, the waiting list for the HUD 202 program is three years. That's a challenge. Will you support funding for the HUD 202 program. There's also some really great organizations. So I work on the state level in New York. So if you're in New York and you want to participate in advocacy there, I live on New York, we'd be happy to have you involved in our campaigns. But on the federal level, there are great organizations that you can just quickly sign on to a letter or participate in that way. Leading Age is one, ARP, US Aging is another. These are great organizations that have action alerts and quick ways to sign on and make your voice heard. And that's the start is really to mobilize and to start calling for these investments and to demand the change that we want to say. Well, Caitlin, you know, at a minimum, people kind of visit CVS with a more critical eye. I think that's some great (laughs) advice that we probably don't think about every day. And, you know, I really appreciate you taking time to share your perspectives, your thoughts on where we are and kind of your vision for us moving forward in recovery. So really, Caitlin, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. You can find out more about Caitlin's work with Live On New York at liveon-ny.org. To learn more about work at the Institute for Public Administration, including our Recover Delaware initiative and health policy work on issues of aging, visit IPA Thanks again for listening today. If you liked what you heard, then subscribe to First State Insights wherever you get podcasts and make plans to tune in again soon.
Take care.